Hi everyone and welcome back to the Rupa Subramanya show. Today it's a great pleasure to welcome back my friend Ari Goldkind. Ari is a criminal defense lawyer based out of Toronto and he's one of the sharpest and most thoughtful people that I know out there. He provides amazing commentary on key social, political and cultural issues of the day and I think has a very interesting take on just about everything in the news. Ari hosts his own podcast on Sirius XM where I've had the pleasure of joining him and today it's great to have him back on my podcast for True North and we're going to cover a lot of ground on a range of issues that have been in the news recently. So let's jump right in. Hey Ari, uh, it's great to uh, have you here once again. I believe it's like your third appearance on my show and uh, um, you know it's, it's always fun to have you back uh, and I really enjoyed being on your show last week to talk about my story for the free press. Well, you do such great work and you write about things that others won't touch. You're sort of the third rail of journalists, which <laughs> I kind of admire the electricity. So it's always good to talk to you. And, and the last time we talked, the response was overwhelming. I actually looked at it. So it yeah. was really great to see how many people watched us and I think really appreciated our conversation. And I don't take people watching you or myself for granted. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think we're going to have a great conversation. So I'm hoping that uh, uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll talk about uh, the story that I, I worked on for the Free Press uh, uh, on DEI and uh, the tragic suicide of Richard Bilkstow. But first, you know, I wanted to uh, ask you about, um, you know, going to your area of expertise as a well-known uh, criminal defense lawyer based out of Toronto. Uh, we've seen, uh, uh, for example, in, in in Canada, we've seen um, criminals, they they get uh, the release from jail uh, on bail, despite, um, uh, you know, a high risk of reoffending. Um, and, and, you know, and what exactly is going on here? Um, one of the things that I've also worked on is the is, 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 is a story on race based sentencing, if you if you remember, um, uh, you know, I, I I wrote the story for the Free Press about how uh, these impact of race and cultural assessment reports play are playing an increasingly important role in in uh, letting go of people who um, uh, you know have spent time in jail. They're released on bail. So, what exactly is this happening? Uh, what is happening within the ju criminal justice system? So let's put this into some context. I start my answer with the Seinfeldian, not that there's anything wrong with it. I am a criminal defense lawyer. Your audience should know that. As much as I'm going to speak freely here as a citizen, as a lawyer, as somebody who works in the criminal, I think, injustice system, I just want people to understand I'm still very proud of what I do. I get a lot of hate for it. I would defend anybody I'm about to criticize. If they called me in 10 minutes, I would do it to the best of my abilities and I'm very proud of it. So nobody should misunderstand that. But we have lost the thread in Canada. We are now a country. And in fact, we call ourselves a civilization. We call ourselves the Western world. That we are preferring the rights of criminals over the responsibilities of what it means to be a citizen. We are preferring people who come from afar and pretend that they're refugee applicants over Canadian tax-paying, law-abiding citizens of all races and religions, mind you. That's why the argument that so many people put up here is a straw man argument, as if Canada is some white, 
you know, aristocratic country that isn't really a majority minority country filled with people of all races and religions. And when people of all races and religions who are here, who are citizens, who are paying taxes, now have to put clubs. Remember going to Canadian Tire and buying a club for your car because now car theft is so rampant. Now you have to put your keys in a bag so that they don't operate that. You worry about getting carjacked when you're driving. And the only time the carjacking becomes a story is when it happens to a Toronto Maple Leaf. We're a country where police officers, this is insane to me. I want to be very clear and passionate about this. We used to live in a country where if a police officer was gunned down by a monster who was out on probation or parole or just a ne'er-do-well, there'd be a national funeral. But now police officers are gunned down so often that the prime minister or the premiers of provinces don't even go to the funeral. They'll go to the opening of a door but they won't go to a funeral for a police officer gunned down. And you just asked me a moment ago, Rupa, about the bail system. Mm. As much as people watching us right now think the bail system is broken, they actually don't know just how broken it is. Because you're going to hear about the big story, the guy who stabbed a teenager on a subway in Toronto, he was out on six bails, and the revolving door of bail. And you get bail, you get charged with fail to comply, you get bail again. And most people think, well, wait a minute, if you get charged with a crime, and you get bail, and a judge says to you, and I'm going to look right in the camera and says to you, sir, because it's almost always a sir, when you get bail from me, Make me a promise that you will not commit any crime. You will abide by the terms of your bail. And lo and behold, over and over, they don't. Their sureties, what that means in English, is somebody signs a bail that says, I'm going to make sure they don't misbehave. I'm going to watch them. I'm going to be their prison warden in the community. Those sureties make promises to courts under oath that they don't keep. Nobody really goes after the sureties, the bail person, for screwing up. So the bail system has become sort of a mirage. It's an optical illusion. And to your last part, Rupa, is you asked me about race-based sentencing or issues in the criminal justice system. This is the lie that the Canadian people are told, which is that this, either the country or the criminal justice system is systemically racist. Now, you're not allowed to hold a contrarian view to that, but I do. I can tell you that the criminal justice system bends over backwards, then does gymnastics, then does cartwheels to actually give preferential treatment to one race and one cultural background. And your listeners and your viewers right now who are watching us, Rupa, they pay for the privilege of this through what are called enhanced sentencing reports, $5,000 a pop. So if a person who's of one race or one cultural background gets charged with a crime, even that arguably has nothing to do with their background, and let me be very clear, there are a number of Indigenous people who were born into circumstances that you and I could never dream about, born with fetal alcohol syndrome, born with no parents, abused, left homeless at seven years old. I have great sympathy for that person getting a bit of a different look given sort of the cultural issues in our country. But when you're now calling everything in our criminal justice system, when you're now saying simply because the color of your skin is different than mine, you deserve different or preferential treatment 
in the criminal justice system for no reason other than we live in woke world, Hmm. That is a criminal justice system that increasingly is losing the confidence of the public. And when the criminal justice system does not have the confidence of the public, and it's a criminal justice system, Rupa, that, as you know, people don't look at it this way, is meant to reflect moral blameworthiness. It's meant to say society looks at certain actions and says, no, when you have the pendulum swinging so that innocent people riding the subway Innocent people riding a bus to go to work. Again, Rupa, all races and religions, look at who rides the bus. If anybody looks at the video of the stabbing in Toronto, nobody looked like Conrad Black or Justin Trudeau. They didn't look like me. It was the most diverse racial subway car you'll ever see. But nobody seems to be concerned about the violence being perpetrated. I see it. I live it. I help further that system. I do believe in what I do, again, full disclosure. But until we can have an honest conversation about who commits crimes, and we stop being a nation of excuse makers, we're never going to put this country on the right track. So um, someone uh, who believes in race-based sentencing, let's stick with race-based sentencing for a minute here. Uh, A proponent of race-based sentencing will say, well, look, Uh, You know, systemic racism is a real issue. There's been historical racism uh, 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 that that certain communities have experienced, especially uh, Black Canadians, for example. Um, And and, and because of that, that, that these historical injustices uh, uh, that they've experienced, um, you know, that's had an effect on how they've been brought up and it's had an effect on their lives. And and so we have to be a little more understanding of their circumstances, of their history. Uh, And this is why um, uh, race-based sentencing or uh, the impact of race and cultural assessment reports matter, just like they did with the Gladue reports for uh, Indigenous people. Uh, So if you can have that for Indigenous people, why can't you have that for, uh, for Black Canadians, for example? Okay, so very good point. Let me say one, I don't accept the premise of what these so-called people say, that we run around and live in a country that's systemically racist. The conversation is much more nuanced. It's much deeper. I'll I'll, I'll say something now that I'm sure 10% of your viewers will not like. I'm Jewish. I'm not religious, but I'm proudly Jewish. Six million of my people were wiped out between 1939 and 1945. Wiped off the map. But I can tell you that if a Jew gets charged with a crime, they don't march into court and start complaining about the Holocaust or their background or that there used to be signs, no dogs, no Jews. I'm being serious, by the way. And I've walked the tracks at Auschwitz. It was one of the most formative moments of my life. I'm being serious about that. There are a number of races and religions in this world that bad things have happened to. But there seems to be one magical race and one magical background where there's no agency. There's no, we have choice. We have autonomy. We don't get to use excuses forever. At what point do you start to have Lady Justice be blind and the rules apply across all people? I'm not saying a judge shouldn't be able to take into account what any lawyer like me says when I'm singing for my client's supper. 
But when you have it codified by the criminal code, that if you're a certain race or background, you should get bail before another one does, or it's a special consideration, even if your crime is heinous, god-awful, you're on three bails. I mean, my goodness, what are we doing? What's the statute of limitations in a country where our new justice minister, Rupa, let me make this point. Our new justice minister, Arif Farani, I went to law school with him. That's completely true, by the way. Very hardworking, very nice guy, but came out with some ridiculous comments when he first got his appointment. We won't get into those unless you want to. But he said something that nobody picked up on in the press, which is, I came here as a child and I'm an Ismaili Muslim. This is him speaking. And he said, if I can rise to be the justice minister of Canada and an MP for many years, this isn't his first rodeo, then that shows that this is a country that anybody of any background, any skin color can do anything in. Mm. So if we're going to premise the whole conversation that we're a racist country or systemically racist, which is essentially a sentence that means nobody can argue it. You can't ask for proof. You can't ask for the ingredients. You can't ask for anybody to back it up, or they'll give you an isolated example. Well, sure, I'll give an isolated example back. There may be young Black children who are born out of wedlock to parents that abuse them, but that happens to Caucasian people too. You know, we don't have to just be in Appalachia to understand that certain things are more class than they are the melanin or melatonin or whatever the word is in your skin. There are going to be native Canadians, indigenous people, who were born with fetal alcohol syndrome, as I said, and they never had a chance in life that I did. I'm not lost on that. I had a better head start in life than somebody born to parents that beat them and have fetal alcohol syndrome. And the court should always take that into consideration. But why should it be open season on somebody who is violent, won't change their behavior, is incorrigible, is unstoppable, so that they can go out and offend and rape or murder or stab or shoot other innocent Canadian people? And as I've said, and I've put this out on my anti-social media Rupa many times, I don't call it social media, <laughs> I never will. If you wanted the system to change, it would change in a nanosecond if this violence happened to people that the justice minister or the prime minister of any party, this is not partisan, of any party actually knew. If it happened to your wife, your sister, your brother, your grandfather, your dog walker, you'd have a view that's different. I see the effect of people who come to court who have been raped, stabbed, carved up, it's one thing by when it's somebody that nobody ever saw it coming, the typical cliche from the movies. He was a quiet neighbor. That is one thing. But when you have, as we're seeing now, the revolving door of bail or parole lead to innocent, and again, Rupa, this is the key point, mm. not famous Canadians, not rich Canadians, just ordinary, average, law-abiding people wanting to ride the TTC bus in Toronto to work without having 15-year-old teenagers. We all have to use this codified language, setting off fireworks in their face or gang swarmings. Somehow we've lost the thread that our fellow citizens don't matter. We have a charter of rights that, in my view, has essentially destroyed the country. That's a big part of the crime picture. What we really need to have is a charter of responsibilities 
Mm. And if we had a charter of responsibilities that went along with the charter of rights, which basically means whatever somebody defines it to be today, tomorrow, whichever judge you're lucky enough to get, remember the news came out last no, week, last Rupa, week. about who gets appointed to the superior court. It's all liberal mm. donors. That's, that's fact. That's freedom. You don't have to trust me on it. We need to have a social construct, Rupa, where we stop bending over backwards as a country to ignore the person working two jobs to support their family, the person taking their kids to daycare, the mother in Leslieville who gets gunned down in next to a safe injection site that shouldn't be there anymore. Why are we preferring the people that are destroying Canada versus ignoring the contributions of the Canadians that made this a place that the entire world happens to want to come to and which we seem to have an open red carpet for them. Mm. Do you think that, um, I mean, you've diagnosed the problem uh, very well. The question is why, why is this happening? Uh, and you, even if you were to just take race-based sentencing as an example, which really is quite atrocious when you think about it. I mean, justice is supposed to be colorblind. Um, and you know, this one person that I spoke to for my story, she's she lives in Ottawa, tragically lost her partner to a hit and run accident, a hit and run uh, accident. And the guy just fled the scene. And eventually when he was caught, he said it's uh, because he was he was black and he had suffered racism. And so therefore, I saw that, story. Uh, th that was a part of his impact and race and cultural assessment uh, that 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 uh, that happened you know, during the course of his trial. And she said something very she raised a very important question. Rupa, I, do, I, I, I get racism exists. I I understand that you know there are people who experience racism. I also recognize the atrocities that were committed against certain people, you know, a uh, hundred years ago, or my ancestors ancestors were responsible for that. But why am I being penalized for this? You know, for me, you know, as a tax paying um, a citizen of this country, why isn't justice colorblind? Why am I being held responsible for something that happened 300 years ago? Well, let's go into that story. I know you didn't plan to do it, but I actually know that case, Rupa. I actually know it. And that man that you're talking about didn't just make an instant mistake. He did a hit and run. He left somebody essentially to die. He drives away. He then does a cover-up. He then does more cover-up, more cover-up, more cover-up, and then some more cover-up, and then comes into court and starts trotting out the racial card. It's the mm. get-out-of-jail-free card. Now, there may be certain instances where that's appropriate, but it's become the de facto, de jour, you know, main course of the day. And we live in a country that, because we live in a woke, identity-politic, stupid country, and we are stupid, there is nobody that I would be unwilling to debate now that can say to me, Canada is better off than it was eight years ago. There is no metric that this country is better off, and here's the kicker, Rupa, for ordinary, average, tax-paying, law-abiding citizens. If you're not in that group, Canada is the greatest place you could ever come. We are a complete joke. We have no rules. If you land at Pearson or Montreal Airport or Vancouver Airport, you're in. We don't turn anybody away. We have 1.5 million new people coming here. We're not allowed to have a conversation about that. You have the absolutely imbecilic 
Minister of Immigration yesterday. Whenever people watch this, at the time you and I are speaking, yesterday he said, we need to have an endless amount of new immigrants to build homes to address our housing crisis. Now think that through. That's the federal government <laughs> saying to Canadians, we don't have anybody here to build homes. The demand for homes is outstripping supply. I wonder why. <laughs> 1.5 million new people a year. But now our argument is going to be, we can't build these homes unless we let 1.5 million people in. It's literally insane, but I'm not diverting from your question about your friend. It's because we live in a country where you're only allowed to speak openly. You're only allowed to use your inside voice outside if you hold one set of views. If you hold another set of views, you are in danger of losing your job, your reputation, being called far right, like that debacle yesterday with Pierre Polyev, where somebody said an expert calls you far right. I read who those experts are. I wouldn't trust them to butter my bagel. <laughs> but somehow he has to answer that experts, experts. Well, I'm an expert, Rupa. It's right in my anti-social media profile. But so there's am no I. View, right. So are you. But there's no <laughs> viewer that could come on here right now who said, you know what, Ari, your view is stupid. I disagree with it. Where I'd say, okay, let's not debate and discuss it. But the, the way, and again, I'm tying this into your friend. Mm -hmm. Your friend now in expressing, well, wait a minute. You know, sometimes there's a reason why a certain race or a certain cultural background may deserve a bit of a more fair shake or a little bit more leniency. I agree with that. There's no problem with that. But when it's every single time and you have your friend now espousing views that will now be called far right, this is where I'm going. Mm. If you're not far left in this country, which has a much clearer definition than far right now nobody even knows what it means it's like a bully base define what goes into a bully. <laughs> nobody can do it but define far left you're going to get woke idiotic uh you know everybody can determine what pronouns they get called i want to be called handsome and brilliant i demand that everybody watching this calls me handsome and brilliant by the way that's a great matt walsh line <laughs> this is the insanity that we live in and again i'm <laughs> still on your friend because your friend is an ordinary, average, tax-paying Canadian, probably not on welfare. People don't understand the extent of welfare fraud in this country, money laundering, the Ontario Disability Support Program. I can give you 20 names right now that are all getting checks every month from the ODSP program that are healthier than you and me put together. And I assure you, Rupa, I'm very healthy. I can go run a marathon right now if I wanted to. They're healthier and they're on the dole. Your friend has to deal with this because she's the forgotten. Mm -hmm. And I talk a lot about this concept of the forgotten. There are a lot of videos coming out in the States, Rupa. I don't know if you saw that man somewhere in Appalachia who put a song out talking mm -hmm. about being a working man and oh, it went yes. viral. There is nothing special about mm -hmm. your friend or that man. But because we've gone so far to the left with insanity, post Me Too, post George Floyd, anybody simply saying criminals don't get to have more rights than victims. Canadian citizens shouldn't have less rights than men between the ages of 21 to 27 who flood here, don't work, 
hate gay people, hate Jews, big problem for me, hate women. Why do Canadian citizens go to the back of the bus? So to end this answer, what your friend is experiencing is the personalization of crime. Mm. And until ordinary average people experience the personalization of it, they don't tend to understand it the way I do. I live and breathe it every day. Or they have a security detail, like Prime Minister Pretty, who takes a photo op on the TTC surrounded by 20, this is true, by the way, surrounded by 20 RCMP Secret Service, whatever you call them, and pretends he's a man of the people when the actual people who are too scared to speak out are literally sitting on a subway car while a monster on bail runs up and down the car with a knife in his hand as if we're in some third world country and starts butchering a human being in front of them. The problem Amazing, yeah. is, is, is the mm. silence of the people whose inside voice is sane, is sound, is commonsensical, mm. but because of the advent of Twitter, let's call it X now, things that trend or things that we're told are what most people think, which is horse manure, horse manure, you're now cowed into silence. And that's why, in my view, so much of the commonsensical stuff that we'd all agree about if we were sitting at a dinner table together, you're not allowed to talk about it out loud. And if you're not talking about it out loud, guess what happens to the popular culture? That's the moment we're in. That's why my city is dying. That's why I think this country is dying. Um, so I, I'm sure you've heard of this bill, Bill C-48. Um, um, the federal government is proposing uh, changes to, um, I think, the bail system. It would make it harder for uh, those accused of certain offenses to be released on bail. Bill C-48 would amend this criminal code so that those charged with a serious violent offense um, involving a weapon, I believe one with a maximum penalty of 10 years imprisonment, um, who were convicted of a similar offense within the last five years, will face a reverse onus to get bail. So reverse onus uh, apparently means the accused would have to show why they should be released instead of the prosecution having to prove that they should remain behind bars. Um, so what do you make of this? I mean, is this going to do anything to address the rise in crime? So let me explain to your audience how the sausage is made, because they mm. hear these words, well, the government's going to reverse the onus. And, you know, you hear something like that. It's like somebody talking to me about a hedge fund. I don't get it. <laughs> I, can, I, I can hear it. I just don't get it. I don't understand it. When somebody is charged with a crime, the premise is they should be released from the police station. You're presumed innocent. You should get out, especially if you have no record. A husband and wife get into an argument, custody dispute, somebody pushes somebody. You shouldn't go to jail for three nights. Now, as I say that, you and I had a very interesting conversation about Tamara Leach, and, mm. she, spent, and she spent more time in pretrial detention for her Mickey Mouse alleged crimes that weren't even crimes. I invite people to go back and watch you and I talking about that because that really is a reflection of just how stupid our bail system is. She spends yeah. more time in jail, pretrial, presumed innocent, than people who have raped women, abused children, and stabbed innocent human beings. Think that through. It's not a joke, by the way. It's actually mm. completely true. But now let's talk about this bill. There are, and, and again, the onus is who has to do the heavy lifting 
on the day of the bail hearing. It's really a legal fiction. It doesn't make a huge difference. If you have mommy and daddy coming to court and saying, I'll sign a bail for my precious loved one who the police arrested falsely or the cops are racist, the person is likely to get out. Now, let me explain, because as much as people should know, I think our current federal government is horrid. I also say that there are positive things in this bill. I also think the next federal government, whomever it may be, may be equally horrid on a number of issues because so much of this is the bureaucracy. So mm -hmm. much of this is never going to change. You saw Pierre Polyev be asked about immigration and said, would you consider lower numbers than the Trudeau government? And he wouldn't answer. And I'm a fan of his. So if anybody thinks there's going to be a magical change in Canada, I, I don't think that's coming. Mm. But So it's good to reverse the onus for certain things, particularly if you've had a serious violent defense in the last five years. But judges and justices of the peace are aware of all of this. We're not reinventing the wheel. My answer, Rupa, is a much more blunt one. Until we get rid of what I think would have made Martin Luther King Jr. go nuts, which is the color of your skin determines more than your character, Character, by the way, is also your criminality, your ability to follow the rules, your ability to respect authority. So again, I think this would have Martin Luther King Jr. spinning in his grave. My mm. answer is you're never going to get meaningful change on bail until a number of things happen. One, you get rid of any race or cultural-based preferences for who gets bail. The only question that matters is are you dangerous or not? That's it. Are you a threat to your fellow citizen? And Rupa, there are going to be viewers who are disagreeing with me right now. Let me point this statistic out. You go to any statistic kept by any think tank, right, left, far left, left of far left, and even more left of that, and you take a look at who the victims of most crimes in Canada are. They are not Conrad Black. They are not Justin Trudeau. They are not Jordan Peterson. They are people who share the same background as the racial or cultural offender. Why don't those people matter? The only thing that should matter is dangerousness. You must take that out of the system and simply look at who can comply, who can be released safely, and who can't. Full stop. Two, you cannot have a system, whether it's bail or criminal justice, work until you get rid of this nonsense idea that certain races or cultures are overrepresented in jail. Mm. That is the talking point of Lametti, who was a complete moron about this. And he knows he's lying. They all know they're lying through their teeth because the one thing you're not allowed to say when they tell you that a certain race and a certain cultural background is overrepresented in jails, is you're never allowed to say, well, what race or religion is overrepresented in crime statistics? Mm. What race or cultural background commits more violent crimes per capita, per their portion of the population, than others? What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to have in our jails and our penitentiaries an equal amount of Japanese grandmothers, <laughs> Norwegian cousins, Chinese uh, <laughs> entrepreneurs, Jewish accountants? I think I'm allowed to make that joke. Uh, <laughs> you know, Italian, make whatever joke you want. That is the stupidity of the argument. 
you are not, and, and there's a person who does incredible work on this called Heather McDonald. I invite people to Google her name. She does incredible work. This is where we are in a society where the public is being lied to that somehow police, when they get up at the morning and three in the morning, they get down to the police division, they put on their uniform and they say, well, I'm going to go round me up and arrest two very specific groups. The race that we're told is overrepresented in jail. <laughs> By the way, I won't say what it is because, you know, nobody can guess who I'm talking about because nobody can. <laughs> and I'm not going to talk about the cultural background that because nobody can guess because people must be thinking <laughs> I'm thinking of people from Tahiti. So in any event, until we get past this idea that police yeah. are racist or they're arresting people who are not committing crimes. Now, of course, there's problems in policing. I make a living cross-examining police officers. I make a living calling them liars. I get it. But until we get this idea that we need to have an honest conversation, Rupa, in this country and in our friends south of the border, as to who commits crimes, are there patterns are there population groups that commit more than their numbers? Are there issues with immigration? Are there issues with this? Are there issues with that? We are never going to have meaningful change, and I will take it right back to where I started with your friend. You are going to have ordinary, innocent, law-abiding, tax-paying citizens sacrificed at the altar of wokeness. Now, I want to just say this, Rupa. I apologize for the longer answer. But there is a price to pay for this woke nonsense. This is not benign. This is not a benign philosophy that doesn't matter. It's killing children. It's allowing children to believe they're something they're not. It's encouraging them to be morons. It's ruining universities and colleges because this is the generation coming up that's being indoctrinated to think the opposite of everything I think. And Rupa, I don't think anything controversial. Mm. I'm simply just using my brain. And until we understand that there are innocent men, women, and children of this country and our friends south of the border that are being gunned down, stabbed, sexually assaulted, look what's going on in Sweden, look at the numbers there. Until we have an honest conversation about the price to pay of being far left versus being even in the middle, being woke, or far left is causing innocent people to be sacrificed at the woke altar. And in my view, it's a disgrace because it completely ignores, and again, Rupa, forgive the long answer, but I have to get into a bit of personal answer here. When I got into politics about 10 years ago, and I did the whole anti-police thing, I'm a criminal defense lawyer, the police are really bad, all of this, people mm -hmm. can hold me to that. I went around to the community because I wasn't fa not famous now, but I was less well known 10 years ago. And I pounded the pavement and I went to all these low income community housing, Toronto community housing, Jane and Finch. And I thought that my anti-police thing would really resonate. It didn't. They wanted to live as safely as I can live where I live. They wanted to live as safely as Justin Trudeau can live with a detail. And until we all agree that whether you make a million dollars a year or $30,000 a year, you have the right to the same immunity and safety from crime as somebody who lives in Shaughnessy, Westmount, Forest Hill, Rosedale, 
or near the House of Commons, mm. we will never have common ground or a safe country. Um, which leads me to my next question um, and our final topic. Uh, you know, you you spoke uh, so eloquently about uh, what wokeism is doing, and and you know, and it's actually killing people. Uh, uh, and 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 that brings me to the story uh, um, that I wrote for the Free Press a couple of weeks ago on the tragic suicide of Richard Bilkstow. You and I were in touch for the story. In fact, I had the great honor of uh, quoting you in my story, and then I came on to your show and we talked about it at great length. Um, what what do you think is going on here, Ari? Um, diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, you know, what do you make of these uh, training sessions? Um, why is there? Why is do you think they feel that there's a need for such training sessions? Um, you know, and and you know how how is it that we've allowed this to happen? Okay, so let's break this down because it does tie in, in my view, Rupa. And again, your audience should know, we don't pre-tape, we don't pre-script. I don't know what you're going to ask me, but this actually ties into what we were just talking about. Let me make mm. the link. I don't think it's tenuous. This ties into law and order and wokeness in the following way. This is all a grift. The people that do this are all grifters. Now, it used to be we would all agree that the WWF is fake. We all respect it. We understand these are athletes. But we wouldn't all have to agree that when Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant get in the ring, it's all left to, ch it's, you know, it's real. It's, it's all just not scripted. We now live in a world where the WWE has become sort of, we have to turn, and I use the wrestling reference because most people grew up with that. A lot of people watching us will know Stone Cold, The Rock. I love wrestling, by the way, so I, I like to throw it in because I am a human being with a personality. <laughs> but you're now being told to ignore what you know is true. And I'm going to take this to Richard in just a moment. But you asked me about DEI. And you'll remember about a half an hour ago, I said, we all have to keep quiet. That's how this wins. That's how they win. You'll remember that this whole issue with, you know, uh, people who say they're trans competing in events, that you weren't allowed to say anything until a very brave young lady named Riley Gaines who I've spoken to, I'm sure you know who I am, who she is, started to push back. Until people talk and say enough is enough, this doesn't stop. What did Richard do? He tried to say, hold the phone. And a lot of your audience watching us, Rupa, right now, who hear my answer, they won't know what I'm talking about, but I invite them, not while they're watching us, but when we're done, go listen to how the monster who did that session spoke to Richard. The condescension, the arrogance, the holier than thou, the complete reversal of I'm now a victim to I'm in charge of you, all these claims that are horse crap, I'm using nice language, and everybody has to sit there and just take it. Because if you don't take it, you're going to lose. And again, Rupa, I always talk about the Canadian who's not famous, who's not rich. If you're a middle manager at a car dealership, if you're at an ad agency, if you're the manager of McDonald's and you have to sit through this garbage, what are your options? Sit there and say, this is garbage or get fired. 
And when you have two children to feed and you don't want to be one of these Canadians who's on the dole, you don't want to be one of these Canadians who believe the government check is how you live. You know to stay silent. And that's why I want to take it back to this all being a colossal financial grift. It's actually a bigger grift than Bernie Madoff. It's hmm. a bigger grift than Zelensky, which I think is the greatest grift in the history of grifting. <laughs> it's a grift where we all know it's a grift. But rather than doing or say anything about it, we all say to ourselves, I hate it. It makes my blood boil. But it's just easier if I stay quiet about it. And it's only when a few, a small number of brave people say something that we get there. The problem is it was too late for Richard. So while Stephen Lecce and the Ford government now and a number of people are coming out and sort of reacting to this, you must understand, Rupa, it's almost too late. Now, it's never too late, but it's all a grift. And when we live in a world where somebody who's late to Starbucks or late to Whole Foods, you'll know the famous story in the States, gets fired for being late 47 times, but then says being on time is white supremacy, mm. and then gets $11 million from a jury who's too scared to do anything else. Or they all hire Ben Crump, the lawyer in the States, who basically, I, I think, I don't even want to say because I'm a lawyer. It's just, it's the craziest thing ever. When we have a situation where good people have to sit quietly by while we're all being lied to by people who are at the top of Canada, who have more power than an oil worker in Alberta, who have more money than somebody working two jobs in Walmart, somebody being paid $70,000 and $30,000 to train journalists at the Toronto Star. A person who lives better, has a nicer home, but then walks around going, the world is racist to me? This is insanity, Rupa. I don't think I'm saying anything controversial at all. But the problem is, is that they've shut down discourse so massively that most people watching this just have to stay quiet. And you'll remember, and I'll answer my, I'll end my answer here, Rupa. 50 years ago, being far left mean you were for free speech. You were against authoritarianism. You fought the power. Now being on the left or the far left is the exact opposite, Rupa. You now only have conservatives saying, I don't want to cancel anybody. Let's debate. Let's argue. The left has won, Rupa. And I'm pessimistic that there's anything coming back from that because anything that doesn't toe that line, crime, immigration, family, sex, whatever you want to call it. It's not like they're welcoming a debate and letting the marketplace of ideas win out. They have succeeded in making all of us shut up. And when you take a democracy and you take intelligent people who have brains and you make them shut up because the price is too high to be paid for saying anything, they win. And Rupa, in my view, they have won. Okay, so Ari, I'm going to challenge you on a couple of things here. You Please. said two things. Um, you said we don't have, you know, these people don't have a choice but to shut up, and that, uh, um, you know, that you, you're you you basically, you know, you're afraid of uh, losing your job, you're losing your pension, you're losing everything, and you have uh, uh, hungry mouths to feed, put food on the table, so on and so forth. But 
I mean, I, I'm reminded of this culture of fear and that this is a term that often came up in the context of working on the story. There's a culture of fear in the TDSB. These teachers and principals are so afraid to speak out because they, they're going to get, they, they fear losing their jobs. So it, it almost, you know, it almost feels like one is living in an authoritarian regime where there's no protection of, of free speech, the constitutional protection of free speech you know, is is obviously weaker here than in the U.S., but how sustainable is this? I mean, how, I mean, if people want change, but they're too afraid to be part of that change. And I look to our friends, uh, you know, uh, in the U.S., uh, where there's a lot of pushback against all of these things that we've been talking about, uh, whether it comes to the, the gender ideology stuff, whether it comes to DEI, for example, there are several organizations, universities that are just getting rid of DEI altogether. Why is it that we're not seeing that kind of pushback? I mean, why, why do I feel like this cowardice at every level of society here in Canada? Okay. So and, and again, I, I'm glad you challenged me. I you know I welcome that. Nothing, I don't even, I don't invite anybody to agree with anything I'm saying. I'm just saying what I think. Let's look at the most famous example of a Canadian who pushed back. Okay. And if I said to you, Rupa, and again, nobody watching this should think you and I talked before this. Who's the famous Canadian who pushed back on some of this a few years ago? Not a trick question. Can you name one? Can you name two? Um, I, I, I'm thinking maybe Jordan Peterson. There you go. Okay. That was my question. Now name a second. Um, I Good can't think of you. a second. Good luck to you. That's the point. That's the point I'm making. And let's use Jordan Peterson for just a moment as part of my answer. Okay. What did Jordan Peterson become famous and a multimillionaire many times over for actually saying? Did he say anything crazy? Did he say anything far right? Did he say anything about Jews, immigrants, marriage, marriage equality, abortion, um, climate change? Nothing. He mm. said, you can't tell me what pronoun to call you. That's all he said, Rupa. You can't force me mm. to call you what you demand to be called. Yeah. He's now a multimillionaire many times over. He's known the world over. He's the one person who said something. Did it create a groundswell? No. Are there 10 Jordan Petersons? No. You're right in the United States where there's a bit more of a blue state, red state thing, which is not the case necessarily in Canada. There are different demographic setups there. I'm very well-traveled in the States, Rupa. There are places that you go and you don't think they're like Toronto. They're very different. Mm. Mm. But when you have to rely on people in the States fighting the battle of Canadians. When you have a newspaper reporter, I don't, uh, some kind of reporter just yesterday and a whole bunch of articles saying Pierre Polyev by talking about the World Economic Forum is now far right. When it was Krista Freeland and Charlie Angus, one of the stupidest men on the planet, but seven, five years ago, Charlie Angus from the NDP, who now says you can't talk about Davos or the World Economic Forum if you're far right, he was the one five years ago when it was Dujour who came out and said, this globalization thing maybe isn't working for Canadians. Maybe all this outsourcing isn't working for Canadians. Maybe a lot of this COVID policy isn't necessarily what we needed to do. Everything has become crazy. 
And so when you have now Pierre Polyev, who again, wouldn't say a word about immigration when he was asked about it, would you reduce it by one person? Wouldn't answer it. You now have reporters doing a gotcha, calling them far right, because some expert says, by talking about Davos or the World Economic Forum or Krista Freeland and her ridiculousness, somehow makes you far right. What opening does that leave to the ordinary average Canadian to say, somebody's got my back? The problem in this country, Rupa, is it doesn't seem to me that anybody has the back of the majority of Canadians who are smart, commonsensical, uh, realistic. I'm not talking about anything to do with anything other than common sense. No matter your race, no matter your religion, Rupa, if I sat down tonight with 100 people, the most diverse group of people in Canadian history, I guarantee you on 90 to 95% of issues, we would all agree if we broke bread together. We would all agree. The problem is there is nobody who I think truly has the back of the 90 to 95% of Canadians who I think have become forgotten in preferential treatment to the people like you talked about, the DEI trainer, grifter, fraudster, who gets to live the life of Riley make all the money in the world there is to make now while somebody working on an oil rig or driving a truck or working two jobs or having trouble getting daycare for their kids, those people are they're forgotten. And that again, Rupa, is why I'm very pessimistic about this country. I am not Mr. Sunshine as much as I try and speak with a smile on my face. Well, Ari, that's why your insights are so incredibly brilliant and, uh, and, and, you know, and you're so always so insightful and, uh, what a depressing note to uh, end this show on, but uh, but I, you know, but I, but I take your point that, you know, I, I, there are days when I feel, uh, optimistic i feel like the the pendulum maybe shift uh swinging back a little bit but uh but most of the time you know i'm just kind of uh really depressed about the state of uh state at uh, 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 just how things are uh in canada right now and uh um all i can hope is that we continue to have these conversations and uh and 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 that you know i i know jordan peterson was a trail trailblazer of sorts but i think I think you and I and many people like us out there, we're not as famous as Jordan Peterson, but I think we're doing our bit to uh, push the conversation in the right direction uh, as much as we possibly can at risk of censure, by the way. And uh, and that's a risk that you and I face all the time. So it, re it really is, Rupa, and I just leave on this note, the abuse that you take, and I see it, and again, I think you just write about things that should be written about. I've said this to you personally. The Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star should be writing the pieces that you write. They would have written them 15 years ago, but now everybody seems to come out of the same journalism school where mm -hmm. it used to be you held power to account. Now journalism seems to be the spokespeople for power. So I have a great admiration for you, the free press, what Barry Weiss is doing. I've said that to you privately. And hopefully as the world changes, more and more people just hear different voices and go, they're not saying anything crazy. They're not even saying anything controversial. They're simply what was, they're saying what was said 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 
until the events of Me Too or Harvey Weinstein or post May 2020 or this or that basically made it so that people just had to ignore common sense. So I have a great admiration for what you do. I have a great sadness for the abuse you take because I'm still waiting to read a column of yours where I'm like, what the heck is she talking about? <laughs> if it comes, you'll be the first to know, and then I'll come in here and I'll lambaste you. Thank you, Ari. Uh, like you, I'm just using my brain, really. That's really it. Nothing extraordinary here, but uh, a real pleasure to have you back uh, once again, and I can't wait to uh, speak to you again. Very good to be with you, Rupa, and I really appreciate the time, and I hope the people watching uh, us got something out of it. Yeah, I'm sure they did. Thanks, Ari. Thanks, Rupa. Mm -hmm.